Christ is mine forevermore. Can you say that? If not, I hope you can before the day is up. We're going to look at a faith that astonished Christ. I want you to look in Matthew chapter 8. Also, it's found in Luke chapter 7. Matthew, though, is a book that we've been going through. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. We'll be referring back and forth because Luke gives it more detail than Matthew. Matthew, if you'll notice, a lot of times he abbreviates a lot of his stories. And so you, you look at another story and you say, well, this, these people weren't in there. This contradicts one, uh, each other. And it, it does not because he just throws a short version in there. And where there may have been time and sequence going on, uh, there, there isn't in his. And so we'll look at that a little bit uh, in this sermon uh, this morning. So I, I'd like for you to... Just bow your heads in prayer as we look at this passage. And I just want God to be glorified. That's it. I just want God to be glorified. I want our lives to be touched in a special way by Him. I want heaven to come down and touch us in a very special way. And this is going to only happen as we just pray unto God and and ask God to just allow His grace to work in our lives in the way that He so wants to. And he desires to. Let's just pray that we'll not hinder it in any way. And that God's word and the Holy Spirit will speak to us today. And that we will heed to what he says. So let's just pray. Father, I just want to thank you. I I know it's not me. I know it's not anything that I could say. It's got to be you and the Holy Spirit speaking. And especially through your word and your truth. And so... That's what I pray will happen today. I just, I just want you to touch our lives. I want you to touch us in a very special way. God, just deal with us. And may we uh, be open to what you say today. I pray that we'll truly be open to hear the message that you would have us to hear. And Lord, I, I pray that we'll heed to the message that you have us to uh, want to uh, be obedient to and heed to. Lord, um, it may not be anything that's said in, by me in the message uh, as far as you uh, empowering me and leading me. It may be something entirely different as the scripture speaks to us and the Holy Spirit uses it. But I pray that it'll be done today. So God, you work a mighty work today. You be glorified. You be honored. May Christ be lifted up that we, as Scripture says, will be drawn unto him. May your grace and its sufficiency, as you tell us, it's sufficient for all needs, all things. May it do its working in our lives, in our midst today. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was an actor that uh, I... I love to, uh, to watch in the movies. Is an old actor, because I'm a little bit older. Old as dirt, I know some people think. And he was very humorous. I, I love to see him act. And very talented. In many of his movies, he started with, or he starred with uh, Bing Crosby. Some of you can guess it, probably. The movies were not only funny, but they were 
clean funny, if you know what I'm talking about. And this man was not only talented in acting, but he was also generous and kind. People everywhere, they thought highly of him, that knew him. He did many things exemplified uh, great character and sacrificial work, for sure. He spent many years overseas entertaining our troops, especially during wartime. He was also a religious man. He was of Jewish descent. He was a man who gave, him, gave of himself, of his time, of his talents, and his money for our country and our troops. He in many ways reminded me of this centurion. Mentioned in Luke chapter 7 as I said and also here in Matthew chapter 8. But there is a difference between the two men. A big difference. An evangelist was sitting next to this man by the name of Bob Hope on an airplane. When I was in school in Dallas he was preaching at this evangelist was preaching at First Baptist Dallas, Texas and he was telling of the story about meeting Bob Hope. And he says that Mr. Hope was presented with the truth from him about Jesus being the only hope for salvation. And this is how he responded to his witness. He said, do you mean that God will not accept me into heaven with all the things that I've done for this country and others? All the times I spent overseas during Christmas and all the other sacrifices I made for others during my lifetime, do you think that God isn't going to accept me into his presence? And the evangelist looked at him and said, that's what I mean. The Roman centurion had helped many people. One example was a concern he had for his servant boy. He was very concerned about his health. He was going to any extreme to help his servant. This is something most centurions didn't really do or carry it that far. This is something though that he felt a need to do. He also seemed to be attracted to the God of the Israelites. He had a special relationship with the Jewish people in Capernaum, he even built them a synagogue. And the Jewish elders of the city even said this about the centurion in Luke chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. For he loveth our nation, nation, and he has built us a synagogue. The centurion was highly regarded by the Jews. We don't know this for sure, but it was very possible but that grace was already at work in his heart at this time. Even though others claimed that, that this man was worthy, the centurion saw himself different, though. He confessed that he was not worthy. He knew that it was polluting for a Jew to enter a Gentile home. And he refused even Jesus as he was approaching his home. He sent Jewish elders in his stead because he did not think 
he was worthy to have Jesus perform such a miracle. Note that Luke and Matthew, as I said, differ here and at other spots. But it doesn't mean that there are contradictions. There are logical solutions to these differences. And one such is Matthew, as I said, abbreviates accounts, which could be the case here and probably was part of it. Second of all, the messenger sent to represent a figure of authority came to speak as that figure. It's like if a teacher is teaching and he has his substitute carrying out his uh, teaching notes and teaching in his place as he's absent that day, he's speaking in his stead, isn't he? So that's what probably also happened. Probably both of them are considered here as being the solution. You see where Bob Hope thought he had married enough to stand before a holy God and be accepted by him, the centurion did not believe himself to be worthy to even ask Jesus for help. He had to send Jewish elders to plead his case for him. In other words, to intercede for him. And here we have the Jewish elders coming to Jesus on behalf of a Roman centurion who requested help for his servant. His servant had, had been paralyzed for some time and was in tremendous pain. And this may have been a case of progressive paralysis uh, with muscular spasms dangerously affecting his respiratory system, bringing him to the very portals of death. We don't know. So here we have the elders reaching Jesus. And so let's look at this passage in verses uh, five and following down to 13. And when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. So he had gone down into the plains to the city. This is transition here. Entreating him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering great pain. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion asked and said, answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And I say to you that many shall come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom shall be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very hour. Now if you read Luke, you see some differences here. But as I said, this is compiled. This is just putting the information together, if you will, in theme form. Now what was his theme? What was the purpose of it? Well, I think the purpose of it is viewing the two things about faith that astonish Christ. I think he's talking about faith. And the kind of faith that we need. And so we need to look at that. You see, when the elders 
came, they made this request on behalf of the centurion. And uh, the soldier's uh, nationality is, is not clear, but, but Luke lets us know that he was not Jewish. Though it does not tell us whether he was a proselyte, it, it uh, possibly supports that by his interest in the synagogue. But we don't know that. And it says Luke tells us that they earnestly, meaning sentirely and persistently, entreating, entreated Jesus to, to come. They even said he is worthy for you to grant this for him, for he loves our nation. And it was he who built our synagogue. So Matthew tells us that the boy was paralyzed. Centurions, you know, uh, hear uh, his, his hesitation in approaching Jesus and personally in having him in his house was concerned because he was a Gentile. He knew that he was in, uh, you know, in, uh, unworthy, if you will. And so as, as we look at this, we, we see a few things about it. First of all, the kind of faith that astonished Christ uh, or the Lord begins with a proper understanding of oneself. That's the kind of faith that we need to have. We've got to have a faith that leads to the source. And to have that kind of faith that leads to the source, you've got to have a proper faith about yourself. Understanding that you, it is not you who can do it. That was the difference between Centurion, one of the big differences, and, the, and Bob Hope, the illustration I was giving there. We're told that other people thought him to be worthy, therefore his request needed to be met. They said he's worthy, meet the needs. He could have easily reasoned in his mind, couldn't he, that if others think this, then I'm okay. I must be okay. They see it in me. These others that we're, we're talking about were not just anybody. They were Jewish leaders. And, and these people knew the law. They knew what it took to be worthy or so it seemed. So how many times have we heard others say when witnessing to them that they also thought that they were going to heaven because of what they had done or not done? What they had done as far as good deeds and not done as far as bad deeds. Not harming other people. Not saying this. Not doing this. Maybe they even compared themselves to others who made them look better. We can always do that. And what about believers? We play the same game at times, don't we? How many times do believers judge how their standing is before God by how involved they are with what they're doing or what they're not doing for the Lord? How many times do we think that we are all right with God just because we're not doing some of the things that maybe lost people that are in, we consider are in terrible condition are doing or we're you know things that uh, other carnal Christians are doing that we've been raised to to uh, to believe through tradition maybe not even scripturally but tradition that it's wrong and so uh, what we do is we play this game a lot of times unfortunately as believers we start marking up points for us. Look at what, we're, what I'm doing, what I've done. I've come to Sunday school all these years. 
I've come to worship all these years. That's good. That's wonderful. But why have you come? Does that make you better than someone else? We don't look at who we really are a lot of times. We need to continually be examining our lives. We, we believe that, that we don't deserve to be treated certain ways by people in this world because of how we live a lot of times. But Christ said, if you're going to really live for me, you're going to be persecuted. With a view of ourselves deserving certain things from God, we place God in our little play box. And by that I mean he no longer becomes our God, but our servant. Lost people do that. They want to make up their religion so that they think that they're going to heaven. They want to make up their God so that they think that they're going to heaven. We get frustrated and we start uh, trying to work things out a lot of times because we become our God. When things don't work out the way that we expect them, this is what happens. And the God we worship is a God we have created, therefore making us really God. That's what we do when we play these games. We don't walk by faith for we're always trying to, to work things out. We don't have peace because the peace that we have is always at a distance. And it's short term because we're trying to work that peace out. Therefore, if things don't get worked out, then we live in frustration and anger, don't we? Been there? Done that? Yeah. We have to uh, have things work out the way we want them to, or we become mad and, and angry and very unhappy. The centurion, you see, didn't view himself by what others said or thought. He viewed himself by what God, or he thought God, viewed him as he was unworthy he was unworthy to have Jesus even come to his house and unworthy to meet Jesus now what does the Bible say about us the Bible says that all have sinned fallen short of the glory of God now does that leave out certain ones in here no all of us you're a sinner you know what that what that tells us is because we're a sinner we deserve what? Eternal damnation. We deserve hell. We don't deserve heaven. Doesn't matter how good you think you might be. Nobody deserves it. For all have sinned. Me, you, every one of us. In other words, God is holy and holiness is absent from any sin. Isaiah said in 57, uh, 15, for thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to review the heart of the contrite. Holy means separate. So it carries a meaning of uh, to be separate or distinct. God is separate and distinct from creation. Why? Because number one, he is a creator and we are the creation. Number two, man is a sinner, therefore being separated from God because God is holy and we are sinners. When Habakkuk ran into the holiness of God, you know what he said? He said, my inward parts trembled, my lips quivered, decay enters my bones. In chapter 3, verse 16. 
He had a different view of himself. He saw himself for who he really was, a sinner. When Job encountered the holiness of God, he cried out, Behold, I am insignificant. I lay my hand on my mouth. Job 44. When Isaiah beheld the holiness of God, he could only say, Woe is me. What he was doing when he announced that woe is me was a curse on himself. He was saying, Cursed is me. I'm undone. I'm ruined. Ruined means to unravel or to come apart. Why did he feel this way? Because he saw himself the way he really was. Undone, sinful. And he saw God as holy and awesome. Man, we're just okay people today, aren't we? You think that's keeping us from having revival? Is it keeping people from getting saved? Is it really keeping people from from, uh, serving the Lord the way that they truly should serve them? Is it keeping churches from, from really experiencing what God has for them to experience? This centurion saw himself as a Gentile who was unclean and undone before holy and awesome God. He was helpless. He was in, desperate, in a desperate situation. Well, I'm okay. I'll make it on my own. I'm okay. Look at so-and-so over there. I'm okay. Because I think I'm okay. I'm okay because that's what you believe and this is what I believe. This is the way the thinking is today. If we don't see ourselves as sinners, we will never see ourselves to begin with as non-deserving. And you'll never enter the kingdom of God if you're lost that way. And as people in desperate situations needing help outside ourselves, we will not be able to grow, not only to become a child of God, but to grow in the faith because we'll always be working it out ourselves. If we don't see ourselves as sinners in a helpless condition, then we will never be able to see God as awesome and holy and wonderful. All-powerful for who he really is. With the centurion seeing himself properly, that moved him into being able, and that made him be able to see God properly. You see, the kind of faith, second of all, that astonished Christ was faith that was able to view God properly. You're going to only view God properly as you examine yourself continually and see yourself as who you are. Otherwise, you're going to make yourself too good. I'm okay. This man did not see himself worthy to make a request before the Lord. He saw himself as nothing. Man, we are the creation. He is the creator. Because of his proper view of himself, he saw the Lord Jesus Christ as one who could take care of the need that he had. Not only could he take care of the need that he had, but he believed Jesus had a sovereign power that he did not have to present. Uh, present to heal his servant. The centurion was a man of good character, religious, humble, but he knew none of these characteristics were good enough 
to deserve the healing or to do anything to bring about the healing. He knew that it had had to come by way of Christ. He had heard about Christ. He, he, you know, other miracles, had, the word had gotten out. And he knew himself to be unworthy of blessing that only Christ could bring. So if he was going to bless him by healing his servant, it was going to have to be Christ. He knew Christ could bring healing. He, he believed in a, a sovereign Messiah. And he realized that Christ had authority to heal the young man if he so chose to do. Did he understand all about sovereign Messiah? No, but he knew what was the word that was going about, what had been shared with him, the little bit of faith and a little bit of knowledge that he had, and he continued with that little bit of knowledge and that faith. Remember that this centurion did not demand Christ to heal his servant. He didn't even deserve to ask Christ to heal the servant, but he knew that Christ could heal him if he was willing. You remember the same way with the leper, you remember? If you are willing. He realized that he had the authority to take care of this matter. He also realized that he was sovereign enough to heal his servant even without being present. And this is so important, especially for us Christians. Many times we don't see it, uh, God at work because... I'm afraid we box him in. And we think that he can only work a certain way. Now some of the ways of past are still good, right? Amen. Some of the ways of present are good. But we, don't, we can't say, well, God worked this way in the past, so he's got to work this way in the present or the future, can we? I'm not talking about scripture and all this. I'm just talking about he does things differently. Now, does it, does it mean that we have to do away with old things? No, not all of them. A lot of them work, still work. But it means that along with that, we have to bring in some new ones. And one way about that is I, I've told you before, I, I do not like texting that much. Then think it was worth that much until my cousin through texting came to know the Lord I still don't care too much for it but it's still <laughs> I, 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 God I understand you use different means different methods and so in turn uh, it's amazing the only thing I, I really dislike about it is when you're trying to share scripture and he's and the other person is having to wait on you and he's about ready to, to just sign off and and say well I guess we're pick this up tomorrow and you're just typing away real quick to get it to him so that he won't do that that's that's the tough part you know we think our spouses ought to uh, to be conformed to our thinking and our ways uh, of marriage yeah. For our relationship to work a lot of times. You, you see this with, with a problem. I mean it's got to be my way. You know or no way. God may be saying that the problem is not all with the spouse. Right? Matter of fact we may be most of the problem. And, and uh, he may be using our spouses to move. Uh, to smooth the rough edges in our lives. If we don't see ourselves the way that we should. 
and see God the way that we should, then we might miss what he's trying to teach us, right? For instance, in our neighborhood, we had fights all the time. We'd get into a ball game, and uh, I mean, you know, I don't know if you've seen uh, the movie uh, about the kids and, uh, yeah, Sandlot. That, that reminds pretty much of, of us growing up. Uh, we're always playing ball. We'd get into these competitive games and tempers would fly and we'd end up fighting. My parents used to tell me that I needed to work on my temper. My wife used to tell me and still does I need to work. No. In other words, not to get mad. Now the question was, well, how was I to work on my temper as a kid? I would try not to get mad, but before I knew it, Man, we would be in another fight. Now, I wasn't a believer then, but I still at times would feel bad about acting like a fool because my parents would preach that into my mind. And losing my temper just because I was competitive, it wasn't wise, but I didn't understand that all then. Didn't understand it too much. I was growing as a child of God when I became a Christian at 18, but it's taken time with me, and it's still doing it. You know when I, it really hit home, though? Once when I was, after a Christ, I became a Christian, I was in uh, high school, uh, senior year, I was playing, competi- or first year of college, I was playing competitive golf with a friend of mine, and he was lost, and I just lost it. I mean, I lost my temper. I got angry. Man, I just blew up. We went back to the car. Then I told him, I said, let's go back and finish the last hoe. And he said, you crazy? You don't have any clubs. (laughs) I said, I can fish them out of the lake. (laughs) And so I did. And we did. But that week when I got home, or that night, I mean, I did not get any sleep. I woke up early that morning, and do you know what I thought had happened? Everything was calm. And Debbie's over there laughing. Everything was calm, and usually you heard traffic, but it was about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, so less traffic on Shorter Avenue at that time. But I didn't know what time it was. And I just, and I, we'd been seeing these Left Behind series, and I just jumped up in bed, and I said, I've been left behind. <laughs> and I reached over, and Debbie and I were married at the time. We were. She was in bed with me. And I reached over, and I felt, and she wasn't there. And I said, oh, God, you left, left me behind. And then I reached further over, and she turned on her side, and I went, Phew. Boy, now you know, I tell you what, I don't know about you, but that scared me. And so I got up, had a preacher come over, went through insurance, salvation, all that. But I started thinking. God started telling me. What he was doing was he was trying to get my attention and saying, Mike, he said, here you are talking to a young man that acts better than you. And 
doesn't lose his temper like you and you are trying to tell him that you have a better thing than him a better person to believe in than him a better way than him and I felt no I felt about that big now you're talking about conviction I mean that was conviction so what was causing my problem? Anger was an outward expression of an inner, inner problem, I believe. And one problem was that I, I like to be on top of things. I like to be number one. I like to win. And when I played hard and didn't win, I became angry because things were not working out the way that I expected them to work out. What does that tell me? It tells me, first of all, that I didn't have a proper view of myself like the centurion had. I didn't deserve anything. I was not in charge. No matter how hard and how good I performed, I still didn't deserve to win. To be number one. To be in charge of things and for things to work out the way that I choose for them to be worked out. It meant that I could only be a winner by allowing Christ and His grace to be in control. And that was an ongoing learning experience. I was just to do my best. And if I won, then that was an added blessing. This is not easily accepted. Doing my best meant giving it all that I had, responding to success or defeat with a Christian attitude that God was in charge. That I didn't deserve it, just to do my best and let it go. Another problem was I didn't trust God to work the situation out for good. Do you, we really believe that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose? I didn't, and my actions showed it. I believe that I knew what was best for my life, and really not God because of the way that I acted. If he didn't work things out according to my plan, I rebelled. I took my ball and went home. I got upset. I tried to play God and catch myself at times still doing so, and doesn't. The, uh, so many people do that today. You see it with their kids and you see it in their lives. But don't judge them too quickly. We do the same thing because Satan knows where to hit and how to work. This man was willing to accept whatever the Lord chose. The Lord healed the servant. Also, the Lord marveled he was very well pleased at the servant's faith. Only two times in the word of God do we read Christians being, or Christ being astonished. Once this Gentile faith and another at Jewish unbelief. Where they should have believed. God marvels at our faith because when we trust him with a situation and glorify him with that situation and with our actions, when we overcome the difficulties we face with our faith as the centurion did, when he overcame those difficulties through humility and clarity of understanding and faith, then we are blessed. God can bring the peace. God can bring the joy. And God can bring the strength. 
the kind of faith that approaches God in humility will see God as so provider. You know, I've learned over the years that faith is impossible to please God without faith. And faith is not always evident in the way that I respond, unfortunately. But it's a growing experience. And it's mainly if we can learn from that, we can become more mature, even when we fail. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.